Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today we're going to be doing breathing mindfulness meditation as part of our group learning program. Right here we meet on Sunday and Wednesday in order to progress through the Buddha's teachings using this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana. This week we're in Chapter 8, which is The Three Poisons, craving, anger, and ignorance, or greed, hatred, and delusion. This helps you to explain and understand at a high level what are the challenges and the difficulties in the human mind and what are the solutions to those through Gautama Buddha's teachings. He gets much more detailed in his teachings than just the three poisons, but there's kind of this layering effect in Gautama Buddha's teachings where you kind of pull back layer by layer and get deeper and deeper and deeper into it. Well, the three poisons really help us understand at a high level what are the actual challenges in the mind and implement solutions at that level. Then the 10 fetters give us another level of detail and there's unique solutions there for each one of those as well. So since we're studying the three poisons this week, and this is the first breathing mindfulness meditation session that we've had for a few months, I thought what I would do is just kind of recap this first poison that we talked about on Sunday and connect it to our breathing mindfulness meditation class that we're doing today so that you really truly understand why we're actually meditating. Because there's lots and lots of people who meditate in the world But until you understand why you're meditating, what the goal of your meditation is, it would be really difficult to accomplish any kind of results. So by understanding what the problem is in the human mind and what you're trying to actually accomplish in meditation, understanding that why you're meditating, then you can actually actively work to accomplish the goals of meditation and thus your meditation will be more productive. So I would like to thank you for being here to learn and practice Gautama Buddha's teachings. I'm going to go to some slides just to kind of help you to learn what it is that I'm sharing with you today. And as we progress in our talk, you're welcome to ask questions by putting your comments into Facebook, YouTube, or our Zoom virtual classroom so that you can get any answers that you have related to any questions based on the content that we're sharing. We have three moderators, 
Basim, Manal, and James, who are looking at all these different platforms for any comments that you submit. And those questions will get asked during the class. And then for those of you in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions or follow-up questions there as well. So let's talk about this first poison that we talked about on Sunday so that we can connect it to what we're doing in our meditation practice today. This primary problem that Gautama Buddha discovered with the mind is this craving or greed. We also call it desire, attachment, wants, expectations, grasping, holding. All of these words are being used to essentially talk about how the mind has certain objects of its affection and it's longing with a strong eagerness, wanting things to be a certain way. And the mind is essentially chasing after the objects of its affection and it wants permanence. It craves what it wants and it wants that particular thing. And the mind feels like if it just gets the objects of its affection, that somehow this external thing is going to create inner fulfillment or inner contentedness. So what we tend to do in our life is we just pursue and pursue and pursue the objects of our affection. And when we get what we want, we experience these pleasant feelings, happiness, excitement, and elation. But these are just temporary because they're based on some external condition. And once that condition is gone, then the mind no longer experiences those pleasant feelings and it's running off to chase after the next object of its affection. And the mind just keeps doing this over and over and over. And if it gets the object of its affection, it feels these pleasant feelings for some period of time. But if it doesn't get what it wants, then it experiences these painful feelings of sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, all these other feelings that invade the mind and create discontentedness. The mind is essentially discontent as long as it's chasing after these pleasant feelings, as long as it's experiencing these painful feelings or these feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, the mind's going to constantly be discontent because it can't just be inwardly satisfied or inwardly comfortable. It's always looking externally for some satisfaction. This is the burning desire, that unquenchable thirst that the mind has, where it just wants things and wants things and wants things. It's this mental longing with a strong eagerness. And you can use all these different words to describe it, whether it's craving, greed, desires, attachments, wants, expectations, grasping or holding. An attachment isn't the actual physical object or the situation itself. It's how the mind longs for something. So oftentimes when people are learning Buddhist teachings, they look at the life of ordained practitioners and they think, okay, well, ordained practitioners give up their home. They give up their relationships. They give up their car or their motorbike. They give up their job or their career. That must be what it takes in order to attain enlightenment. But that's actually not true. The ordained practitioners are doing this because they're in a discipline that's kind of knocking down a lot of the opportunities for the mind to grasp onto things like relationships or personal possessions. But 
a household practitioner can still attain enlightenment if they deeply understand what Gautama Buddha was talking about. He didn't say that we all needed to get rid of our relationships or get rid of our personal possessions. What he's talking about in terms of what causes the discontent mind is this longing with a strong eagerness where the mind's lurching and trying to latch on to certain things. It's all happening in the mind. So it is possible to have relationships and have a career and have possessions, but just not allow the mind to hold on to them so tightly because that would cause discontentedness. But you also can't just do things lackadaisical and lackluster either because if you didn't apply any time or effort to your relationships or your career, that wouldn't produce the best results either. So you've got to find this middle way that the Buddha was talking about. And the middle way is to recognize that you have certain needs in your life and to fulfill those needs, but don't constantly be searching for your wants and don't put expectations on yourself and don't put expectations on others expecting that they're going to fulfill the objects of your desire. Instead, notice that none of these external things are going to create inner contentedness. You need to go inward and train the mind to no longer latch on and long for certain things. This is why we use breathing mindfulness meditation because During meditation and during your daily life, the mind is longing with a strong eagerness. It's wandering. It's roaming. It's trying to go somewhere else other than just be content with where it's at. When you're in meditation, the mind's going to want to go to the past or it's going to want to go to the future or it's going to have thoughts or ideas or perceptions that enter into the mind. And as it does, this takes the mind away from being in the present moment just focused on the breath. So in meditation, specifically breathing mindfulness meditation, we're not working to eliminate these thoughts. Although over time, the mind will become more quieted. It will become more still with less and less thoughts, but you won't actually completely eliminate all the thoughts in meditation. What you're actually doing in meditation is you're training the mind to stay in the present moment and eliminate this unwholesome root or this poison of craving where the mind is longing for something. So when the mind longs and it moves to the past, you cut it off, let it go and bring the mind back to the breath. Or when it goes to the future, you cut it off, let it go and bring it back to the breath. Or if any thoughts or ideas or perceptions come into the mind, you cut it off and let it go and bring it back to the breath. What you're doing is you're actively training the mind over multiple sessions to make it easier and easier for you to let go, to let go, to let go. So that then in daily life, when things are happening and you feel a little bit of frustration starting to arise based on you holding on to something too tightly, you can let it go because you've trained the mind in meditation. And if you train the mind over multiple sessions, over multiple months and years, it gets easier and easier as certain things are happening in your life to just let go because you've trained the mind to do that in meditation. But if you weren't training the mind in meditation this way, when something happens, you get hit by another car in an accident, your mind's going to be really angry because somebody has hit this car. Maybe you fear 
death. Maybe you're attached to your car, holding onto it too tightly. Maybe you're on your way somewhere and you're holding onto that really tightly because you're feeling this urgent need to get to where you're going. And the mind can become enraged and hostile and angry. And then we start reacting through our intention, speech, and actions in unwholesome ways that can cause harm to others. And it would cause harm to us as well if we're causing harm to others. So what you're doing in meditation is training the mind to let go, let go, let go, let go, and come back to the breath, come back to the breath, come back to the breath over and over and over again. So then in daily life, as you're aware of certain arising unwholesome feelings, you can let those go really easily. So the first goal of breathing mindfulness meditation is to eliminate this craving where the mind is longing for the objects of its affection. What you're also doing in breathing mindfulness meditation is you're training the mind to have mindfulness or awareness of mind. Because in daily life, if you weren't aware of the mind and the arising thoughts, how could you ever cut them off and let them go? So while you're in meditation, you're becoming aware of the breath and focusing on the breath then the mind becomes aware when it's not on the breath and it's having some erroneous thought, then it's taking the active effort, right effort to cut that off and bring the mind back to the breath. And through this practice of doing this multiple, multiple, multiple times over months and years, the mind gets more and more trained to observe the arising unwholesome thought sooner and sooner, and it gets easier and easier to let go of those unwholesome thoughts sooner and sooner. And then eventually when you cut this craving back far enough and your awareness of mind becomes so well developed, eventually you get to the point where unwholesome thoughts, ideas, perceptions don't even arise at all. So you'll never feel the arising of anger whatsoever because it just doesn't come to the mind. You'll never experience any arising frustration or irritation or sadness or loneliness or boredom or guilt or shame or fear. But you have to develop this in meditation so that you become really aware of the thoughts, really aware of what's going on in the mind, really aware of these feelings as they arise, and then get better and better at cutting them off and letting them go. And as you do, and you cut this back sooner and sooner and sooner, in meditation, but also in daily life, then the mind essentially submits. It basically gets to the point gradually over time where the mind gets so tired of you constantly cutting it off that it's like, okay, I'm just going to sit here and be content because it knows every time it lurches for something, it gets cut off. Now, I would never train a dog like this, but I think you'll understand the analogy. If you had a dog pulling on a leash and you just kept yanking it back and yanking it back and yanking it back and yanking it back, eventually the dog would submit and it would lose its energy because it would realize every time it keeps pulling, it keeps getting yanked back and it keeps getting yanked back and its neck would hurt. It would lose its energy. The muscles would become tired and eventually it would just sit and walk next to you. Again, I would never train a dog that way, but you get the analogy that the mind essentially does the same thing. That through meditation and through daily life, 
as the mind longs and it has this craving and you keep cutting it off and jerking it back to the breath, then eventually over time, the mind submits and says, all right, I'm just going to sit here and be content because every time I try to get up and go somewhere, you keep pulling me back and I don't like that. I'm just going to sit here and be content. I'm going to be comfortable. I'm going to be peaceful and just reside in the present moment. So that's what we're doing with breathing mindfulness meditation to knock down this craving during our active, dedicated, purposeful training session. So then in daily life, you have this ability, this skill of awareness of mind to observe your feelings as they start to arise. And you have the skill and ability to cut those off sooner and sooner and sooner. The other aspect of our training here for eliminating and eradicating craving is to practice generosity by being generous to people with your time, your effort, your energy, your resources. By giving and sharing, you're training the mind to let go. Because what happens is the mind becomes very selfish and it wants to hold on to things very tightly. This is part of the craving. After there's craving, there's clinging where the mind wants to hold on to things very tightly. By practicing generosity with your time, effort, energy, and resources, you end up letting go and you train the mind to let go. So these two together are kind of generalized training that every practitioner needs to practice in order to knock down this craving. And as you do so, what you're going to find is your discontentedness will slowly diminish because it's this craving, desire, attachment that's causing all the discontentedness in the mind. And by you knocking this down and ultimately eradicating it, there will be no arising discontentedness at all because all discontentedness comes from the mind's craving, desire, attachment. The mind wanting things, craving things, searching and chasing the objects of its affection. And when it gets it, it gets those pleasant feelings, When it doesn't get it, it gets those painful feelings. So if you knock this down where the mind can just be content pursuing things as goals, as interests, as objectives, then you'll see that the mind can reside more peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. So does anybody that's listening in any of our venues have any questions on this aspect of what I'm sharing with you? If you do, you can put those comments in Facebook, YouTube, Zoom, or you can raise your hand electronically in Zoom. I was wondering, David, do you have any advice on how to carry over the letting go that we cultivate in meditation into everyday life? Are there any specific practices to be able to carry that over? Yeah, wherever you notice that the mind is having this chasing or this longing for something, just let it go. And... Because you'll get so used to closing your eyes and focusing on your breath and meditation, if that's what you need to do in daily life, like say you driving, somebody cuts you off and boom, you get stopped at a red light and they go through the red light rather than honk the horn and be furious and be irate. Just close the eyes, breathe in, just focus on the breath, take a few breaths and just open your eyes. Just be like, it's all right. He's gone. I'm safe. I'm sitting at the red light. I'm delayed three minutes, but in the big scheme of things, what is three minutes, right? So be aware of the mind whenever the mind's chasing something, whenever you see any arising 
discontentedness, either painful feelings, pleasant feelings, or feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, cut those off. So if it's sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, cut that off, let it go. If it's happiness, excitement, elation, thrill, euphoria, cut that off, let it go. If it's boredom, loneliness, shyness, jealousy, resentment, any of these feelings, stress, anxiety, just cut it off and let it go and realize that the mind's going to be better off if you just let go whatever the mind's holding on to so tightly. Because none of these feelings will arise whatsoever if the mind's not holding on to something tightly. So whenever these type of feelings arise in the mind, you can look for what the mind's holding on to really tightly. And there's always going to be at least one or more things that it's holding on to tightly. And you just got to train the mind, let it go. Even if you talk to yourself quietly, that can be helpful. Just let it go, let it go. And the mind can release it and then just come back to the present moment. Now, there will be oftentimes bodily sensations that you will feel before the mind actually experiences the feeling. Unless it's just something that's got you so irate, you blow right past the bodily sensations. But if you start developing your awareness of mind really, really closely, you should start noticing that before the feeling of anger or frustration comes into the mind as a feeling, that there's going to be this trickling effect of bodily sensations in the body first. And if you can cut it off there before it pollutes the mind, you're actually much better off. That's like putting a lid on your bucket before the poison gets to the bucket and it inhibits the poison from getting into the clear water. So if you can notice that arising bodily sensation, whether it's painful feelings or even pleasant feelings too, if you can notice that and you can cut it off while it's at the bodily sensations, then what happens is the Buddha talks about obliterating it at the stump. You obliterate craving taking it down to the stump. And this is where eventually, if you do this enough, the mind won't ever produce any discontentedness at all. But if you keep allowing these feelings to blow right through the bodily sensations, right into the mind as feelings, affect the condition of the mind for multiple hours or days, or become a mental object, which now it's hanging around for a few weeks or a few months, then it's a much harder to root it out of the mind at that point. So if you can catch these things when they're just bodily sensations and cut them off there, then you're saving yourself a whole bunch of heartache that the feeling never gets to the mind and it never actually pollutes it, and you can just cut it off and let it go. Thanks, David. We'll get a pass them down for our Zoom questions. Okay, thanks, James. A question from my hobby. She says... What should I do if my mind has a negative thought about someone before I realize it? Like if I see a person toss trash out of their car window and my mind immediately, without my permission, thinks bad things about that person. Wherever you notice it, Holly, just cut it off. So don't wish that you would have cut it off sooner because that's craving too, right? Not being content or satisfied with what is. So if you're noticing it, even if it's 30 seconds or a minute down the road, wherever you notice it, cut it off and then just get better and better at cutting it off sooner and sooner. It's like trimming back a tree. 
it's like the unenlightened mind is like this wild tree or this wild bush that's been growing for however many years you've been alive and many lifetimes before that. And you're cutting this bush back or you're cutting this tree back slowly but surely more and more and more until it gets to the stump. But you're going to have to do this slowly and gradually catching it sooner and sooner and sooner. And that just comes with training and practice. And then you'll see the gradual progress. Okay, thanks, teacher. No more questions for now. Okay, so as you guys know, I'm not interested in you guys believing anything I say related to the Buddhist teachings because belief is not going to get you where you need to be in terms of acquiring wisdom on this path in order to practice the wisdom. The way that you learn on this path is you learn intellectually, you reflect on those teachings, then you don't believe them, but you put them into practice and see that it's actually working to improve the condition of your mind. And as you see that, you then know the truth. Therefore, you have wisdom and you know, aha, this is the truth because it's working. So rather than you believe me about anything that I'm talking about here, I usually describe these poisons and all the other teachings and ways that you can go off and independently reflect on this and determine whether it's truth or not. And then you can practice the remedy or the antidote that I'm sharing in order to determine that it is indeed improving the condition of the mind. Well, just like I'm not interested in you believing me about anything, I'm not even interested in you believing me that the Buddha actually taught meditation. So here I'm going to just share as a brief recap for anyone who hasn't been in one of these classes with me where I teach breathing mindfulness meditation, how just in a few little places here where the Buddha talked about meditation. Now he talked extensively about meditation and I've got a whole book that extracted a lot of his teachings from meditation that's going to be coming out in the coming months where you can study his actual words related to meditation that he spoke during his lifetime. But these are some of those words for you so that you don't have to actually believe me or believe anyone else that the Buddha ever taught meditation or that he even taught breathing mindfulness meditation and how important it is. So here are just a couple of little phrases for you to help you. Meditate, monks. Do not be negligent, lest you regret it later. This is my instruction to you. So here he's kind of urging his students, be sure to meditate. Don't be complacent or else you're going to regret it later because as the mind becomes discontent and you're frustrated and you're irritated or you're sad or lonely or bored, yeah, you're going to regret it that you haven't been meditating. Or if we get all the way to the end of this life and we end up not being able to escape this cycle of rebirth, yeah, we're going to regret it later. So let's be sure that we meditate and train the mind and see the results for ourselves. No need to believe me, no need to believe the Buddha, but see it for yourself. He also shared, a pot without a stand is easy to tip over. The pot here is the mind. The stand is your meditation practice. So a mind without a meditation practice is easy to tip over, right? It's easy to shake up your mind. It's easy for you to become unhinged. It's easy for the mind to become uncalm and discontent. It's easy to tip over that mind if it doesn't have a meditation practice. So a pot without a stand 
is easy to tip over, right? So here, what today's class is about is helping you to develop that stand so it's wider and wider and wider, and then your mind won't get tipped over. It won't get shaken up. It won't get discontent because you've trained the mind. Now, here's another one where he goes into a lot of detail just explaining how important breathing mindfulness meditation is. And there's some other teachings that he shares along these same lines, just always emphasizing, always, always, always emphasizing how breathing mindfulness meditation is like the superior, most important training. There's a whole lot of other training that the mind needs to go through, but he's always prioritizing breathing mindfulness meditation as the most crucial, the most important. Here he says, monks, there is one thing that when developed and cultivated leads exclusively to liberation, to freedom from strong feelings, to elimination, to peace, to direct knowledge or experience, to enlightenment, to nibbana. What is that one thing? Breathing mindfulness meditation or mindfulness of breathing, same thing. That is the one thing that when developed and cultivated leads exclusively to liberation, to freedom from strong feelings, to elimination, to peace, to direct knowledge or experience, to enlightenment, to nibbana. Now, when he's talking about to elimination here, he's talking about to elimination of discontentedness, right? So here he's highlighting for us exactly how important breathing mindfulness meditation is. So this is why it's a real cornerstone of this group learning program. We spent about four sessions at the very beginning of this program to help you guys get established with this. Now what I'm going to be doing is every other week for this month, we're going to be focused on breathing mindfulness meditation. So this week and two weeks from now, we're going to be doing breathing mindfulness meditation. Next week, we're going to be doing loving kindness meditation, which is to antidote that second poison of anger, or hatred, or ill will. So today is all about breathing mindfulness meditation, and we're going to do that together as a class where I'll guide you through how to actually meditate. And then in about three weeks or so, we're going to be in chapter 11. In chapter 11 on Sunday, about three weeks from now, we're going to be diving into meditation in depth because chapter 11 in this book is all about meditation and developing your practice. So we're going to spend a whole hour and a half, two hours, just exclusively talking about developing your meditation practice in about three weeks. So you're welcome to join that class on a Sunday. And in the meantime, these Wednesday classes to help build up your meditation practice. So is there anybody who has any questions on what the Buddha is teaching here in terms of the few passages that I collected to share with you guys related to meditation? We have a question from Fakir on YouTube. Can we do mindful meditation in all positions of the body, like sitting, laying, walking? Yes, there's four positions for breathing mindfulness meditation, seated, standing, lying, and walking. You can do breathing mindfulness meditation in all four of these positions. Loving kindness meditation is typically done in seated, standing, or lying positions. We don't usually do loving kindness in the walking position because the mind's focused on other things. But with breathing mindfulness meditation, you can do it in all four positions. Those are all the questions we have for now, David. Okay. 
So I'm gonna go back to full screen so that I can help you guys to get started with your breathing mindfulness meditation. Today we're gonna to be using the seated position because that's typically how people learn, but if for some reason you can't sit, you're always welcome to stand or lie. You would like to get your lower body comfortable. So if you're seated on the floor, that probably means you're gonna put some cushions under your rear, get your rear up a little bit higher to take away the angle at your hips, your knees and your ankles. Crossing your legs, that will help the circulation to flow. Your lower body should be comfortable but not luxurious. If you're in a chair, you can just sit comfortably in a chair with your feet flat on the floor or crossed at your ankles. There's not just one specific way to meditate. That would be permanence and that doesn't exist. So what you're looking for is to get the lower body comfortable, but not luxurious. Because if you make the lower body or any part of the body too comfortable, too luxurious, then it's going to end up disengaging the mind and it won't be attentive and alert. The definition of meditation is a dedicated, active, purposeful meditation session to eliminate certain unwholesome qualities in the mind or cultivate wholesome qualities in the mind. So we need the mind to be attentive and alert during our meditation. So by keeping the lower body comfortable but not luxurious, it will maintain the position of the body and allow the mind to be attentive and alert. Additionally, the spine should be nice and erect. By in making the spine erect and engaging the muscles, this also keeps the mind attentive and alert during the meditation. Whereas if you were slouched like this, then the mind's gonna have a tendency to turn off and be inattentive or unalert during your meditation. But also if you were real rigid, it would be too stiff and too active. You need to find that middle way where the muscles of the upper body are engaged, but they're not too stiff and they're not too loose either. Your hands and your arms, there's lots of options here. The Buddha placed his right hand on top of his left with his thumbs together, and then he put that in his lap. And if that's comfortable for you, do that. But if it's not comfortable for some reason, then you can put your palms on your thighs, your palms on your knees. If you're sitting in a chair, maybe you put your arms on the armrest. The important thing is, is that your muscles and your hands and your arms just aren't engaged, they're just completely relaxed. The only muscles that should really be engaged are the middle part of your body that should be nice and erect, okay? Then you'd like to close your eyes and start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose, taking some nice, steady, consistent breaths. Breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Breathing in and out. Your breath doesn't need to match to the guidance and the cues that I'm giving you. These are just reminders, just to help you breathe in and out. Just start developing a nice natural breath. And once you feel like the breath is well-established, 
Start bringing the mind to the breath, the sound of the breath, or the sensation of the air moving into the nose. This is the present moment. Breathing in. And out. Focus the mind on the present moment, the breath. Breathing in. And out. I'm going to do some chanting just to kind of ease us into meditation. And then I'll be back with some more guidance. If you know these chants, you're welcome to chant along.
Yeah, you should be breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Just allowing the breath to come into the body, experiencing the full inhale and the full exhale. Breathing in and out. If there's a little gap between your inhale and exhale, that's fine. Just have that little bit of stillness there. Breathing in through the nose. Experiencing that little gap where there's no inhale or exhale. And then exhale. Experiencing that little gap. And then an inhale. Experiencing that gap, that stillness, and then the exhale. As you're breathing in and out, if the mind goes to the past or to the future, just cut that off. Let it go and bring the mind back to the breath. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. Wherever there's thoughts, ideas, or perceptions, you haven't done anything wrong. That's just the mind wandering. But notice it sooner and sooner. Cut that off. Let it go. Bring the mind back to the breath. The present moment. Breathing in. training the mind to be aware 
whenever it's not on the breath, whenever it's not in the present moment. And when the mind becomes aware of that, you're going to cut it off, let it go. Focus the mind back to the breath. Breathing in and out. try to hold on to this voice so I'm going to be quiet now and let you just work on observing any time the mind is not on the breath cut it off let it go and bring it back to the present moment to the breath you have nowhere to go There's nothing to do. No one needs you right now. Just focus on the breath. Breathing in. And out.
If you guys have any questions about what we taught today or anything else from the program, anything that's coming up in your meditation or what we're doing during meditation, anything related to meditation or any of these teachings, you're welcome to ask those now just by putting your comments into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or electronically raising your hand. You can ask your question or any follow-up questions directly. I had a question, David, about ending our meditation. We may feel inclined to end our meditation, but perhaps that feeling is associated with restlessness or boredom or something of that nature that it may actually be profitable to sit through. So do you have any general advice on how we decide when to end our meditation? Yeah, I I usually sit on the floor when I meditate. The only time I really sit in a chair is if I'm at a temple teaching 
or here in online classes, I usually sit on the floor. And most often when I stop meditating is when the legs start feeling painful, you know, which tends to be right around the 30 minute mark for me. There's certainly been times where I've meditated for 45 minutes or an hour, but usually 30 to 45 minutes is what works out without timing it, without setting an alarm. It's always best not to do that because if you set an alarm, the mind's going to be craving. Is it time yet? Is it time yet? Is it time yet? So the mind's actually doing what we're trying to train it not to do. So it's best to not use a timer, but check in on your time about once a week just to kind of know that you're hitting about 30 minutes or more and building up to that. And if you're noticing that during your sessions that you're getting 10 or 15 minutes and you've just started, that's okay. You know, that's where you're starting and you're building up to it. But when you get to that point where the mind's like, oh, I've had enough of this, I'm ready to stop, just think like, okay, just three more breaths, just three more breaths, and then just focus on three more breaths. And by that time, the thought of actually stopping oftentimes is gone and it's completely gone. But if it's not, just three more breaths, three more breaths, right? Just always think, you know, just three more breaths. And what happens is eventually you should get to the point where you're experiencing so much benefits from your meditation practice during your meditation and during daily life that it's like you wouldn't even think about not meditating in a given day. Just like you wouldn't think about leaving the house without brushing your teeth or you wouldn't leave the house without taking a shower, perhaps, then you would get to the point where it's like, I'm not even interested in going a day without meditating because I just know how beneficial this is for me. Once you've built your practice up to two or three sessions per day and you're doing, you know, 30 minutes or more per session, you're just going to notice so many more benefits by doing that. It's kind of like for those of you guys that have ever drank alcohol, you know, you start out the very first time. Sorry for the analogy, but you start out the very first time and that first or second beer just knocks you flat on your butt. But then you kind of build up a tolerance for it and you need more alcohol in order to get drunk, right? Well, meditation is kind of the same way. Like the first times, first couple of weeks when you first start, five or 10 minutes is like, oh my goodness, it's just so difficult. And it can oftentimes challenge the mind a whole lot. But then you start experiencing these benefits and it's like, ah, I kind of like this. But then five or 10 minutes doesn't really do it anymore. After a few weeks, you kind of need more. You kind of need 15 minutes or 20 minutes to get similar effects. And then you need 25 or 30 minutes to get similar effects. So once you kind of get into that 30 minutes to an hour range, that's really the sweet spot for most people. And of course, if you're waking up doing meditation before work and you know that there's a fixed time that you need to leave and you don't want to just sit there forever and miss your work, then yeah, go ahead and set an alarm. But in the evenings or on the weekends when you don't need to set an alarm, don't set an alarm and just work at building up your practice closer and closer to 30 minutes or more and focus on just three more breaths, just three more breaths. Thank you, David. Manal has a question, so we'll go to her next. Sure. Hi, teacher David. Hello. Hi, Manal. Hi. I had a question uh, with today's guided meditation. I noticed, uh, maybe for the first time for myself, I noticed that you drew a little bit of attention towards um, just uh, the 
inhale and then the space in between and then the exhale, sort of a breath uh, stopping for a few short seconds and then returning back to, you know, the natural exhale. And then again, a little bit of a pause and then coming back to an inhale. Um, so for the last um, week or so, I've been exploring time and timelessness. I had a few questions about that, which you've already helped answer. Uh, today, I, I'm thinking about breath and breathlessness. So the space in between, which we have between inhale and exhale, it's just a natural progression. I understand that. And I'm not overly focused on it. But as I think about that, are you, is this still the present moment when you're in the space of breathlessness? Or are you, are you just quantifying, are you just giving an example uh, in order for us to come to the present moment by using the tool of the breath? Um, is everything still just present moment, even though you are in a space of breathlessness? Yes, that's correct. It's still the present moment. It's just focused on breathing in, and then there's that stillness, that little gap, and then there's the exhale. And this can kind of help you to be more intentional with your inhale and your exhale, and it can help you experience that peacefulness, that stillness, and that calmness where there's nothing going on, but yet the mind can still be content. So that space in between is still the present moment, as I understand you're saying. Mm -hmm. And also, it's just a natural in, in and out of the breath. It's not that it's anything different from in and out of the breath. Is that right? That's right. That's right. It's just getting comfortable with that gap and that there's nothing going on. There's quietness, there's stillness, and the mind can be content in that gap. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Well, a uh, question here, teacher. Uh, sometimes while meditation, uh, there is a kind of um, a moving in the eyeballs or the shoulders are tired. Uh, does this mean that uh, the mind is still busy? Typically, yes. It means there's still some activity in the mind. It hasn't completely calmed down and become still. There's still some tension being held in the body somewhere. And you just got to calm the mind and just relax the mind so that all that bodily movement becomes still and steady. Okay, thanks teacher. The more calm that the mind is, the more still the mind is, the more calm and still the body will be too. The body will become very tranquil where there's just no tension being held anywhere in the body whatsoever. Okay, thanks. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no more questions for now. Okay. Well, I thought I would share something with you guys, a little teaching from the Buddha related to meditation that I think is kind of interesting, especially considering the time frame that we're coming up on. Between July, August, and September, this is called the rain retreat, where during the lifetime of the Buddha, during the rainy season, he instructed all of his ordained practitioners to stay at one residence for a three-month period of time. All the rest of the time of the year, for nine months, they were roaming around, going from place to place to place, being invited to stay at different homes and certain villages. And when they would stay in those villages, people would feed them and take care of them. But then they would also receive teachings because of hosting these monks in their village or in their home. Well, during the rain retreat for three months a year, 
as it was raining and pouring down raining, it made the ground and the earth very soft. And it was essentially preparation for the crops that were going to be planted after the rainy season. So he wasn't interested in the ordained practitioners roaming around on the soft earth and damaging the fields because that would cause harm to the farmers and their income and their families because they wouldn't be able to plant nice crops after the rainy season because the earth would be all beaded down and battered down from the footsteps of all these ordained practitioners that were roaming around learning and sharing the teachings of the Buddha. So for three months, he instructed people to stay in one place and just stay in that place and focus on their own development of their own practice. And typically people would be in one particular village or out in the forest or some other place. And the Buddha has this famous teaching where at one particular rainy season, he says to one of his close students, he says, if anybody should ask you where I resided during the rainy season, tell them that I resided in breathing mindfulness meditation. That's where I resided. And I think that's once again, just highlights how important he saw breathing mindfulness meditation that he was kind of cluing his students into saying, hey, if anybody's curious where I am and where I've been residing during rainy retreat, I've been in breathing mindfulness meditation. That's where I was. And you'll see this when you start exploring the Buddhist teachings that he uses these kind of things to kind of help people understand how important meditation is or how important it is to get rid of craving, anger, and ignorance. He'll use various ways of teaching that are very simple and very straightforward. And just any common person could understand it. You don't have to really dig into his teachings too much and try to interpret what he was saying because he just said what he said. And it's just very clear and, and obvious for people to understand that. And then once you understand what he's teaching, you learn it, then you can reflect on it and actually practice it yourself and see the results. So that's what we're doing here on Sundays and Wednesdays is sharing the teachings of the Buddha with you so that you can learn, reflect and practice the teachings and see the truth for yourself. And one of the big topics that are connected to the Buddhist teachings and kind of almost common in our modern language these days is the natural law of gamma, or some people call it karma, which is the Sanskrit version of this word. Well, on Sunday, the upcoming class, which is chapter nine, I'm gonna be teaching what is gamma and how does it affect you? Because oftentimes we really mystify and we think that the natural law of gamma is very mysterious or mystical. Oftentimes people think it's about punishment and rewards, especially if you're coming from various traditions where those kind of things are being taught. But what I'm going to be doing on Sunday is really demystifying this whole topic of the natural law of gamma and making it very simple and easy for people to understand so that you can see the truth for yourself. You should never believe in the natural law of gamma. If anybody asks you, if you believe in the natural law of gamma, by the time you learn chapter nine and by the time you reflect on that and practice the Buddhist teachings, you shouldn't believe the natural law of gamma. You should know that it's truth with 100% certainty. And the more that you see and understand the Buddhist teachings, you don't have to believe in the natural law of gamma. You'll know with 100% truth 
that it is in fact the truth because your wisdom about this natural law will just continue to grow and grow and grow and you'll be able to see it everywhere around you. You'll be able to see when wholesome things are happening and things are going really well, you'll be able to see all those wholesome qualities, those cause and effects that led to it. Or if you see unwholesome things happening, you'll be able to see the causes and the effects that led to that. And that's going to happen on Sunday in the same location at nine o'clock Thai time where we're going to study chapter nine. And if you need to download the book and read that chapter first, you're welcome to do that. But then we're going to talk about it on Sunday. And then on next Wednesday, we're going to be doing loving kindness meditation where I'm going to be once again reviewing the poison of anger, hatred, or ill will, just like I did today with craving, desire, attachment. We're going to review that poison or that unwholesome root and connect it to the loving kindness meditation that we're doing so that you don't have to believe about any of these teachings that you can actually learn, reflect, and practice and see that it's working to eliminate discontentedness, eliminate this anger, this hatred, this ill will, this frustration in the mind, this hostility, this aggression. And the more and more that this happens for you, you'll experience that peace of mind that the Buddha always talks about. So I'll look forward to seeing you on Sunday or Wednesday. And between now and then, just continue to focus on developing your life practice with meditation, but also remember the entire Eightfold Path. That meditation is just one component of the Eightfold Path. So there's a whole path here that we need to be practicing. Yes, meditation two or three times a day, but then in daily life, when we're interacting with people, we need to be practicing right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. And by doing this on a moment-to-moment basis, then the mind is gradually being upgraded to this new operating system of Enlightenment 9.0. Instead of Unenlightened 1.0, we get to upgrade slowly and gradually to this new operating system where now it just will be so easy for you to practice these teachings all the time because you will have gradually worked at this and gradually trained the mind in that direction. So I'll see you either Sunday or Wednesday. And in the meantime, have a wonderful rest of your day. And remember to treat everybody polite, kind, friendly, and respectful. Until then, sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.